Hey Trekkies, and welcome to Trek Freaks, the show where we talk about every episode of Star Trek, starting all the way back with the original series and give an analysis, review, all that fun stuff about it. I am Kevin, and I am joined, as always, by Jonathan. Hey, hey guys. Hey man, what episode are we talking about today? Today we're talking about Season 1, Episode 9, which is Dagger of the Mind. Nice, nice, nice. So they mentioned that they had a Christmas party sometime prior to this episode taking place. So my question for you for this week is, what does a Christmas party aboard the Enterprise look like to you? Hmm. See, that's, that is an interesting question. And I, I, I'm not in the military. I imagine it would be similar to what military regulations would be. Um, but we know from this episode that there is a level of fraternization that's allowed, obviously. So um, I think it would be like a, a formal kind of, how do you say it? There has to be limitations and restrictions, people being respectful and not getting super wasted. But at the same time, it's, you know, a party. So I imagine there would be some some reckless, you know, chandelier swinging and stuff like that. Um, <laughs> though what I would like to point out is uh, it would be extremely different than what we're used to because they have, the holodeck so they can literally have any setting that they choose so it'd probably be like a very cool themed party every time they have one gotcha yeah, so the holodeck doesn't really come into play until the next generation if i remember correctly um okay. so i what specifically would you want to do at a christmas party aboard the original enterprise um geez. i know that's a little more tricky i know i'd I, I'd want to see like uh, alien dances, especially if you can get like a Vulcan to show what they do to celebrate. That would be pretty hilarious. I can imagine Spock kind of being put on the on the spot. You know, <laughs> hey, we see him play instruments. Okay, yeah. like, you have to know how to kind of get down a little bit. So, what's a Vulcan dance look like? So my answer is kind of along the same thing that you just said. I I would like to get well. First of all, you'd have to deck the warp core. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's 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 how that would go i'm not a big uh christmas decoration guy myself but if i was you know living on a spaceship i think that that would change pretty drastically because you can do a lot of cool things with all the lights and the technology that they've got on a starship um oh, yeah. i would want to try to get as many people from different backgrounds and cultures together to try to ask how they celebrate different holidays whether or not they celebrate christmas specifically but yeah, uh, Spock would have been like my first choice. And then like Uhura and other people from even different Earth cultures like Uhura that maybe don't celebrate Christmas or have a different version of it than what you and I are used to. Yeah. And I could see Uhura being like the MC, like getting everybody out there dancing and party. Oh, yeah, like for sure. Yeah. Fun one. Yeah. And uh, you'd have to have McCoy being the, the bartender. Because yeah. uh, unless they we had Pike's doctor, then he would, of course, be the bartender. But yeah. there you go. Without any further ado, let's get into the warp speed recap for the episode. The Enterprise is in orbit of the Tantalus penal colony. After beaming down some supplies to the surface, a crate of what are supposed to be supplies for the Enterprise are beamed up to the ship. Inside the crate is a man who knocks out the transporter operator and makes his way around the ship. The penal colony, thinking a dangerous prisoner may have escaped, warns the Enterprise. After a little searching and a few more crewmen are knocked out by the man, he's captured and sedated. Spock finds the man's ID tape 
which I thought was a weird thing to throw in there, but we'll get to that. (laughs) And discovers the escape prisoners, actually Dr. Simon Van Gelder, who was assigned to the Tantalus colony as an assistant to Dr. Adams six months prior. Dr. Adams confirms the identity of the man and the Enterprise heads back to Tantalus, uh, all the while starting an investigation into the matter. Van Gelder is seemingly in a lot of pain and is having a hard time describing why he needs to escape. Is he crazy? While McCoy and Spock continue their investigation on the ship, Kirk and Dr. Helen Noel, a specialist in the field, beams down to Tantalus to investigate there. Meeting with Dr. Adams, they're given a tour of the facility, eventually going into a chamber called the Neural Neutralizer, which is hard to say. Ah, It is here that Van Gelder's accident occurred, driving him mad. Kirk, wanting to know more about the experiment, has Helen test on him. It is immediately very effective in altering Kirk's brain. This is when things go awry for Kirk, as you could imagine. Dr. Adams discovers what they're doing, has Helen restrained, and uses the full force of the machine in an attempt to get Kirk to submit to him, implanting thoughts of undying love for Helen and taking away his, his free will. Helen, escaping through a vent, makes her way to the control room. She causes a disruption that the crew on the ship are able to detect, and Spock beams down there. He shuts down the power to the force field and informs the ship. Shortly after Kirk was able to make his escape, Spock flips another switch in the control room, which just happens to be the (laughs) control for the neural neutralizer where Dr. Adams is all by himself. Dr. Adams dies completely alone without any thoughts or other people around. So that was intense. That that episode escalated pretty quickly at the end there. And I (laughs) jumped around a large portion of the uh, the exposition. But let's get into our our analysis and thoughts into this episode. Right at the very beginning, we see that they're in the transporter room and we get this giant pill bottles. They look like prescription (laughs) bottles. What did you think of the props in this episode, especially right there at the beginning? It's just comical. Like we know, I mean, we know that we don't know what future technology is going to have in it, though I think we can assume that we'll find more efficient ways to transport things. Especially when you have transporter technology, you think that, you know, we wouldn't have to put supplies in massive, like, barrels that guys have to carry over their shoulders. But, uh, yeah, I thought that was just kind of funny. Yeah, <laughs> I had to I had to bring it up because it just looked like a huge prescription bottle. And it's like, well, it could have looked any other way, but I'm down for it. <laughs> um, the thing that really threw me off right at the beginning there was that the transporter operator didn't realize that there was a force field around a penal colony uh-huh. and you can't beam through that. And Kirk's just like, well, did you tell them to <laughs> drop the force field? <laughs> yeah. uh, so we've uh, seen a reoccurring se- uh, uh, theme on the enterprise of people seemingly like very uh, inexperienced. Yeah. Not trained super well. Yeah. And I like that Kirk tells him, Hey, you need to uh, brush up on, on your handbook or whatever. But then he tells him, but I think you can, you know, secure this cargo first and then take care of that. Yeah. And did you notice when he, you know, the guy turns around, he's like, okay, I got to, you know, log the numbers or whatever that are on the monitor ahead of me. He, he has to do that for a while for there being a very small thing that got dropped off. Like 
maybe it was just timing. He needed to give the guy time to sneak up on him or whatever. But not not only are they like doing pencil and paper like note taking back, you know, on a starship that has transporter technology, but it takes him forever to log the readings of a single <laughs> seemingly small transport that went smooth. Uh, I just thought that was that was kind of a lot. That was funny. Yeah, I was also wondering what supplies they were expecting to be in that crate because <laughs> they never bring it up again. It's like, well, there's what supplies were they supposed to be picking up by the end of the episode? They don't get those supplies as far as I'm aware. Yeah, they're going to go a few months without, you know, any more chicken in stock because they didn't get a supplement. <laughs> exactly. Oh. All right. So we see the guy uh, make his escape from the transporter room and he starts knocking people out trying to uh, stealthily make his way. I'm guessing he's trying to go to the bridge, but did it seem like he had a plan or was he just trying to hide? I think he's, he's trying to find who's in control, I think so that he can, you know, hijack the ship or secure a way away from the colony. Gotcha. So if you were transported aboard and you were making your escape, where would you try to go? I would probably hide in a Jeffrey's tube until I know that the ship has on its own gotten far enough away because if you're pretty close, I mean, it doesn't take much of them to just beam you back to the planet real quick. So yeah, I would hide on ship until we're a safe distance and then maybe try to hijack the ship or probably take a shuttlecraft off the ship. That's a, yeah, that's, I, I like the Jeffrey's tube thing and it makes me think of uh, one of the more recent episodes of Star Trek Lower Decks. The, <laughs> with the plates. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yes. Oh, man. So I I don't understand how the security guards weren't able to find him before he made his way to the bridge. But there is a security guard there on the bridge. Mm-hmm. Um, And it, it was pretty funny. Right when he appears on the bridge, you see Kirk and McCoy both go <gasps> turn around like they were both startled <laughs> by him coming. It's like, didn't he call security to the bridge or did does shouldn't they know that that's just part of a routine when there's an intruder on board yeah it's kind of funny. yeah they like didn't expect someone to walk through and they got startled but it's like yeah you, i mean and also they're getting startled but they don't have phasers drawn so if it is somebody's you know coming into attack they're still unprepared regardless like yeah. pull out your phaser at least if if the you know security officer scares you <laughs> yeah. i mean maybe it's a good thing that they didn't have a phaser because they could have just immediately turned around and shot the, <laughs> the security guy but <laughs> we we would hope that they would have more uh more restraint than that yeah so um, they they do talk about the penal colony and how they i don't know how they rehabilitate that's the word how they rehabilitate their inmates um rather than uh, keeping them locked away for you know a long time like we currently do uh or executing them like we used to do uh they <laughs> Uh, have different methods that they don't necessarily explain, but the captain does say, you know, he's very pleased to see how successful their new methods are. And it seems like it's a more humane option uh, is what they're doing under this new, new doctor, right? Yeah. So uh, Kirk mentions that it's more of a resort than, than a prison that at least you and I would be used to right now. Um, I did find it funny that Spock was, being typical Spock, you know, um, uh, talking about the dichotomy of employing violence as a people, but punishing people individually for being violent, <laughs> privately. Um, 
that that kind of stuff right there is just the the message that Star Trek tries to to get across. Um, we're not perfect. We're trying to evolve, and Spock's already there, <laughs> <laughs> right? And his culture. But then again, I mean, like the Vulcans and Romulans split, and they have had conflicts and wars. So how do you how do you resolve conflict? I mean, I know they they talk, but when the Romulans don't want to talk and they just want to fire on your ships, what do you do? You don't just you know, say, okay, sorry guys, bye. Like, <laughs> you don't take the Canadian route. <laughs> so, I don't know. No yeah. offense to Canadians, sorry, I love Canada. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I I don't ever see uh, at least the Vulcans as we know them being aggressors in a situation like that. They they defend themselves, I'm I'm sure. But I don't think they make a, a habit out of being openly violent toward especially toward each other after their Vulcan enlightenment. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, he says where, where there's no emotion, there's no motive for violence, which I don't know if that's entirely true, but in his mind it is, and that's why the, the Vulcan as a race or as a species has evolved, has evolved as a society that suppresses their emotions. Yeah, I'm thinking like with no emotion, you could still have like logical reasons for violence logical justification if you're trying to you know conquer another race or take what what they have or something like that or to protect your own people you have to go destroy these other people that are threatening them or something um but that i don't know in my mind maybe maybe i'm wrong maybe those are emotional reactions that's hard to differentiate i guess yeah that that seems like a topic we could do do a deep dive into if we had the time for it, but we're here for Star Trek. Let's get into Star Trek. Yes, yes. Um, the prisoner gets on to the bridge and immediately takes out the security guard. What was the point of the security guard? <laughs> do, are they not trained? Like, I know I, I gave I gave McCoy a hard time for the first few episodes because he seemed like he didn't know what he was doing. But now, same with security. Like, can an engineer do the job of security? Do they do they literally have no additional training? They're just a body with that holds a phaser sometimes. Like, Come yeah, on, guys. It, it seems weird that the flagship on the frontiers of space have such a seemingly inept crew. Um, yeah. I, I know it's more for TV. That's what it's it's for. It's to, to continue the story. But man, it's just a bad look for the ship. Yeah. And the prisoner is very mentally unstable. So you can't say like, oh, yeah, he's a martial arts <laughs> expert and he's coming up with super fast jujitsu that these guys can't block or something. No, he's psychotic and didn't rampage. <laughs> yeah. So he asks, who's the captain? Kirk steps up and says, I'm the captain. He tells him to put down the phaser. And the guy says something like, you know, I want asylum. Uh, You have to protect me or something like that. And the captain says, but at gunpoint or at phaser point. Uh, And so he's like, oh, you have to promise me that you will. uh, Or you have to to make me a promise. And oh, that you won't send me back there. And uh, as he's like trying to approach the guy slowly. And he says, no deal. And I think. I'm pretty sure Spock get, gives the Vulcan uh, pressure pinch or whatever and takes him out or karate chops him, one of those two. Yeah. I, it seemed weird to me that a prisoner was requesting asylum. And while there's probably, and in this case, definitely reason for it, it doesn't seem like prisoners, that, that that's a right that a prisoner typically would have. Yeah. Uh, but kinda... unless like in this situation it's we don't know the whole pic- they don't know the whole picture right. and he is in in effect or not supposed to be in prison which i guess is 
why Spock and McCoy end up doing their own investigation. And they actually, what kicks off their drive to do an investigation is the fact that right here, uh, McCoy gives, uh, gives the guy a triple dose of sedative and he is still awake and just flailing all over the place and screaming top of his lungs. He's not doing well. Now, did they explain why that was? Cause I didn't, I didn't see anything. I didn't realize, but well, you know, why did the triple dose of sedative not work? His, That's a- his, his mental state has been altered is, is, you know, we learn later some of his memories have been erased or changed, but that doesn't change his biological function. That's a good point. I didn't think about that. And I don't think they were wanting us to think about that. Yeah. Maybe <laughs> if we want to, to, I don't know, create some backstory for it. The sedatives that we use nowadays, you know, block your nerve receptors and, you know, calm you by not feeling pain or slowing your heart rate. Uh, but perhaps in the future, their technology will calm you by, um, like, simulating the feelings of happy memories you have or something like that. So maybe it brings back good feelings from your past. And because his mind's erased, he doesn't have anything for the treatment to work on. That might be your best headcanon yet. You like it? No, I, that, that's probably your best. That's my favorite, at least so far. <laughs> All right. Well, it, it works. It makes the story work. So, I like <laughs> yeah. it. Um, so that's when he says that his name is uh, Simon Van Gelder, and he claims to have worked at Tantalus as a doctor's mm-hmm. assistant. His mind was erased. Uh, he still seems crazed, but we're not sure whether or not to believe him. Uh, Spock and McCoy are definitely, or specifically McCoy is definitely kind of like, I don't know whether or not we can trust him because he's mentally unstable. Yeah. This scene where he's struggling to say his own name and you, you could tell, I mean, we end up learning it's because he's been forced to erase most of his memory. Um, but that right there was when I realized what a good actor this guy was. I, after that, I was paying closer attention. Like, man, he's actually doing really good for a pretty, you know, small role. It's a single episode of Star Trek. Um, and I'm like, man, this guy, I kind of wanted to see. I started looking up his filmography, actually. He's in a lot of older movies. Um, and I'm like, man, this guy's actually, like, really good actor. Uh, but just from, like, how how much he struggles to just say a couple words. I don't think I could act like that. Yeah, his facial reactions when he's trying to say specific words that have that we find out have been blocked from it's it's meant to cause him physical pain when he's trying to uh, remember yeah. those things or try to speak those things. It, he's going through physical pain. You can see it on the guy's face and in the way he's talking that he's less crazy and more in pain and both mentally and physically. Yeah. And just trying to get somebody to help him. Uh, Spock ends up finding the ID tape of Dr. Simon Van Gelder. And he was assigned to Tantalus as Dr. Adams associate six months prior to this. So something happened in those six months that he went from being a doctor to being a prisoner. And that's when uh, we know something's not right. Yeah. Also, it sounds like that that whatever happened wasn't fully documented on his file because you'd think when they pull up his ID tape, it should say on there, hey, six months ago, there was an accident. And, you know, now this guy has been. You know, now he's an inmate, not a doctor or something that something that would clarify to these guys why he is where he is. 
versus having to ask questions about it. Yeah, and Dr. Adams is answering questions, and he seems very upfront about it. But as you're saying, if he was so upfront about it, this would be on a report somewhere. This would be part of the, the Starfleet log or yeah. the, the file of this guy. Because he seemingly works for Starfleet or something Starfleet adjacent to be a doctor at a penal colony. Yeah. Um, Dr. Adams tells, tells them that uh, Van Gelder was hurt doing uh, some experimental work and he fell victim to his own research. Um, Coy doesn't think that's entirely true, but doesn't know exactly why. He's kind of iffy on whether or not he believes Adams or Van Gelder or if the story's somewhere in the middle there. Sorry, one thing we glanced over was the whole um, situation with the with Dr. No- or with uh, Noel, I can't remember. Yeah, Dr. Noel joining him and how she kind of helped steer this whole thing once they got down to the to the uh, penal colony. Yeah, um. Uh, in my notes, that was just coming up ne- right after this, but oh. yeah, no, no, you, no, you're good. It's perfect time to talk about it because she is, she's a strong character. Um, very, I don't, I don't know if she's used after this episode. I don't remember, but I don't remember seeing her. Like she's very having, influential in this one for sure. Yeah, for definitely for having like a a very strong willed female character in the '60s is we've talked about it before. It's not very heard of (laughs) back then it's not even super well done to this day but and the reason that she ended up on this mission was just a little spat or a little i don't know ego play between kirk and mccoy right i think kirk told mccoy instead of joining me he told him like i want your your best officer with you know psychological training or something like that and then so he's like oh yeah don't worry i got the one and intentionally pairs her up with him because they have a history from the Christmas party and everything. So he was trying to mess with Captain Kirk. Uh, but because of that, because she's so fascinated with this research the guy was doing, she's kind of egging them on to trust it and go with it and trust the doctor. And But I think if McCoy was down there, he would have been a lot more reserved and a lot more skeptical and all this probably would have stopped way earlier. Yeah. I do want to point out the the, unc- the the discomfort I had with the realization of something happening. They didn't go into specifics at the time. Uh, something happening between Kirk and Noel at a Christmas party. And it seemed very uneasy between them. Like it was a one-way thing and it was alcohol led to something. It was... Yeah. It, it's, it kind of it's, seemed like she was still interested in him, but he you know, wasn't or something. See, uh, I ca- I kind of gathered that she wasn't interested in him to begin with, but mm. with you know Christmas party alcohol, that it kind of happened, and then they both wanted to forget about it. Was what I gleaned from it. Yeah. Well, I do like later on they kind of clarify where that line was drawn, and it it makes it sound a lot better. So it kind of yeah. redeems Kirk and makes him not seem like a a creep or a, a predator. Uh, predator. There you go. <laughs> yeah. Um, when they do beam down, they go to they start off in an elevator. Did you see how fast that elevator was going? Like they oh, embraced yeah. because it was going so fast. <laughs> it was, it, it kind of just reminded me of the spinning turntable from the, yeah. <laughs> the I mean, the, it's a great feature for people trying to recover from mental health issues, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> no doubt. Free fall. <laughs> see, that what, was, see what happens to you. 
that was actually my first thought is no wonder that guy went crazy if this is the elevator he had to take every day. Right. <laughs> <laughs> uh, when they meet up with Dr. Adams, Kirk tries to hand over his phaser. But Adam's like, no, 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 it's okay. I know you Starfleet types or you, you captains, that you feel better with your weapon on you. It's, it's okay. Trying to reassure him that everything's on the level, that there's nothing to be suspicious of here. Yeah. Adams did a really good job, I think, of, I mean, as, an, as a person in the audience watching the show, you know something's wrong. And that the mm-hmm. fact that he's being so accommodating to Kirk is a red flag. In Kirk's position, I don't think I would notice that or I would see it like that. Yeah, it'd be hard to step back and look at it just, you know, black and white logically and, and kind of see that there's something going wrong because he's so inviting. I mean, he says, don't worry, you can keep your weapon. If like if I'm a bad guy, shoot me kind of thing. Like, <laughs> Dang, I, I would, you know, try to get his weapon away from him as soon as possible if I thought he would be a threat. Uh, and then he pours a drink for them to have. Hey, let's just have a, a, a drink before we get down to business. And so it's like, okay, so he's really trying to be personable. Uh, so there must be nothing wrong with this guy. He would be trying to hide it if there was something. And yeah, we're being very close and friendly. So it's like it, everything must be fine, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, nothing to be nothing to be worried about. Um, this scene also gives us the uh, the idea of that the force field blocks the communication between the away team and the ship. Which I think comes into play a couple of times in the episode, but it's not really a big factor. But we also are introduced to uh, what we've come to find out was actually somebody who the neural neutralizer was used on. It's a woman with she's just got a blank face. She doesn't show any emotion. Uh, I think they say she was purified of her past crimes, which is scary to think about that terminology. They asked, what'd she do? And she says, well, it doesn't matter. That was a, a past life. That was a different person. That person's gone now or something like that. Yeah, but she said it so blankly, so <laughs> monotone that it, it's like, was the punishment, we can talk about that re- later, but was the punishment like, did it fit Being whatever branded? potential crime? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. We'll you t- kick I'm sure we'll and talk now about we're going to erase your childhood. <laughs> yeah. Holy shit, right? <laughs> That's pretty bad. Remember your childhood dog? Oh, no, sorry. I, I erased that from you. My bad. You shouldn't have stolen that candy bar. And speaking of this, I mean, we'll actually probably reference back to this episode in the future because there is at least one Voyager episode where they implant memories. Oh, and we talked about that uh, next, uh, that Deep Space Nine one too. They implant memories of like a traumatic, you know, prison stint that, you know, is their way of rehabilitating somebody, which is very in line with this whole process. Yeah, I, I, I wonder if they referenced this episode while writing those DS9 and Voyager episodes that talk about it later. Because prison is something that we see off and on throughout Star Trek, but the, like, the idea of the prison system is only, referenced, excuse me, is only referenced a few times throughout Star Trek. It's not like something that they hit on so often, yeah. but it's, it's one of the... The reoccurring themes regardless and it's interesting to see how the different takes that they have on it throughout the the as time goes on throughout star trek back on the ship uh at this time spock and mccoy are trying to get information from dr van gelder um van gelder talks about the neural neutralizer and at this point it's like oh okay 
neural neutralizer. This is probably what caused him to go to go mad. And it doesn't take uh, Spock and McCoy too long to figure that out. Um, I also have written down in my notes that it's also probably what made the woman so blank. <laughs> uh, and right as that's going on back down on the planet, uh, Kirk and Noel are actually shown what Dr. Adams calls a failed experiment. And it is the neural neutralizer. Uh, if it's such a failed experiment, why are they still playing with it? Cause yeah. it's being used as Kirk and Noel are in there looking at it. Yeah. And I would assume that before even trying something so potentially dangerous, cause the first zap could just, you know, break your brain or something, right. you know, your head explodes. Uh, so before trying it, I'm sure they did, extensive research into the methodology behind this and why it could work. So there's probably a bunch of data that says, Hey, this could totally work. And then in his claim that in application, it's not really working, you know, noticeably. Uh, but he says, well, we keep trying it because we think it might be, you know, making very minor adjustments and helping slightly with mood or something like that. So he could, justify it as you know we're trying it even though it's not really proving uh viable and it's not doing as much effect as we had hoped we think at least by the data that it should still be doing something gotcha that makes that makes sense it just seems so weird that they are so open to calling it a failed experiment and then they don't have any problem of explaining what happened to kirk and noel as they're using it on somebody else. And it's and, and in this same scene, Adams is telling them, this is what drove Van Gelder crazy. But here's another guy that we're doing this to right now. No notice, big deal. You notice the operator that's controlling it is the same as the blank faced woman too. He just has like no emotion. Mm -hmm. He just can stare blankly without, you know, blinking or anything. So it's, I'm wondering, do have they used this on all, all of their staff? Were all of their staff patients at one point or, you know, are all, are they all Starfleet issued to, to work there? And then now they're just getting their minds erased to be perfect drone employees that don't report the, you know, depravity of what they're actually doing. Yeah. To me, it seemed like it was like a power grab, like mm -hmm. that he was kind of Dr. Adams was switching the patients and the, the personnel so yeah. that he could like just run the place as his own medical facility for experiments and stuff it's 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 pretty dark when you think about it it's a little arkham asylum over here to me <laughs> yeah that's that's the exact perfect reference to make right there yeah uh, adams also explains and i think we talked about this very quickly that this uh, brain altering technology is made to make the patient feel terrible pain anytime they recall something that they're told to forget yeah that, that explains why we're seeing that with, with uh, Van Gelder. Right? He's in physical excruciating pain, just trying to tell his name, which he was supposed to forget. Yeah, and Kirk tells Spock and McCoy that he's going to uh, investigate. And every time when Van Gelder hears that, he keeps yelling, no, keep away from that. Uh, yeah. Trying to, He's trying to explain to them the dangers of this thing without being able to say any of it without feeling excruciating pain. That's a terrible, terrible thought. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you think about when a child is trying to say something, but they don't have words, so they can't communicate and they just start freaking out and throw a tantrum. It's like, well, this guy he knows what he's trying to say, but he can't speak. And it's not like he's mute and he's spent so many years, you know, learning how to communicate without. No, he just from, you know, six months ago was 
you know, brainwashed. Now he can't say, it can't explain, but it's like, dude, your captain is about to get messed up. You need to get him out of there. You guys got to warp away from this planet and never come back. So that's yeah, so pretty messed up. I have a theory now, not when you say it like that. Uh-huh. I think that this experiment was used on me. And that's why I have such a hard time trying to get any words out. And nice. Frank will definitely appreciate that. Um, <laughs> yeah, I always have such a hard time trying to get words out. And I can, I can think of what I'm trying to say in my brain. And that has got to be what's going on in Van Gelder's mind is that he's, he's hearing or thinking what he needs to say. But any, anytime he tries to get it out of his mouth, it's just physical excruciating pain. I just have embarrassment. And I, I wonder now, I was thinking, I wonder if Van Gelder actually created this, if he was the one who developed it, or if that was just a bunch of BS and he was just the first one that they tested it on, or the first one who, when they tested it, he reacted negatively and tried to cling on to some of his memories or fight back or something like that. That's a good point. I was under the impression that Van Gelder made it, not just because we were told that he did. I thought he said that he had created oh, okay. it, but... I, I might have just inferred that. That could be, I don't know. I didn't think about that. Yeah, because I know he said that he was, you know, the doctor, Dr. Adam's assistant or whatever. Um, or, yeah, but, but I think it was Dr. Adams that said that, yeah, oh, yeah, Van Gelder, you know, fell prey to his own devices or whatever and did this to himself. Yeah, but if he, they did use the word assistant once, but they also called him an associate of Dr. Adams once. So, yeah. I don't really know where he fell, but if he was just an assistant, yeah, you would think that it was actually Dr. Adam's invention and that mm-hmm. he was the one using Van Gelder as the as his first experiment. Yeah. Um, this is where we see sort of the first Vulcan mind meld. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What what did you think of this? Because I know you've seen mind melds in future Star Trek. Yeah. What did you I'm... think of this compared to like a typical Vulcan mind meld. I, I think I think you're right. I think it was like the stepping stone. Like they didn't really develop the you know terminology or the practices of what a mind meld would look like. But this is very similar to it. I think with a mind meld, you have to have your hands in a certain, more or less, a certain position on the face. Um, and you know, my mind to your mind, my thoughts to your thoughts, and they focus and they can communicate. But uh, this was, I mean, more or less the same thing. He's just trying to meld with a chaotic mind, uh, which if once we learn what mind melding is, that's actually very dangerous for the the Vulcan to do that because not only are you digging into his brain, but his brain is digging into yours. So it, it is a full on meld and, and can be harmful for both. But I think they depicted it well. I mean, I know there was probably some differences between this and actual mi- regular mind meld that we learn of later. Um, but he was able to, you know, see his thoughts and, and understand what he was trying to convey right yeah so they did there were a lot of differences and i think this spock said that he had to put his hands in certain pressure points mm-hmm. and this was less of spock trying to connect to van gelder's mind and more of even though he said that's what he was going to do yeah. and more of trying to block the sensation of the pain so that he could speak what he was trying to say it didn't seem so much of like a, a telepathy or a mental, more of a physical thing than a, the typical uh, Vulcan mind meld. But he does go through a spiel. He says, you begin to feel a strange euphoria. Your body floats. Open your mind. We move together. Our minds sharing the same thoughts. Mm-hmm. So 
this is like the prototype for the mind meld yeah. in Star Trek, I think. And I noticed he moves around him while he's doing it too, which seemed kind of funny, but I think it might've just been a whole camera angle thing. Like you have to stay, you know, visible at the right <laughs> positions or whatever to the camera. So kind of walking around the medical bed. While he's yeah. Doing I noticed it. that too. I just, it, he was like moving around the face too with the pressure points that he was touching. So yeah. It was, like, it don't was... you lose continuity? Like, don't you need to stay, stay in a certain <laughs> spot? I don't know. To me, it was like it, it seemed like he's like, oh, this this is not the exact right spot. I'm close to finding where I need to press, but I need to move. And he was just going back and forth trying to find the one right spot that he needed to put pressure on to get Van Gelder to speak. I like With, Um. Also, at this time, I don't know what Captain Kirk is thinking. And I might be skipping a little bit here. But Kirk decides to have dr noel used the experiment on him yeah why would they why this just doesn't make any sense and i know i've seen in other star treks there's plenty with janeway where she's just like doing extremely risky things for no reason but there's no need to do this at all if they're using this on other patients you can observe the use of it on other patients and just find it does it work like like uh we think or does it not work like uh, Adams is saying, but instead he decides to put himself in the chair that is supposed to be done used for inmates. This is a punishment. This is to correct you, and it's just extremely. I mean, you're a captain. You gotta, you know, protect your ship by protecting yourself. So if anything, put somebody completely expendable in there. Put a red shirt in there, or something. But even just read their research before you sit inside the death machine. Like, come on, dude. This this is very unnecessary risk yeah th that's what i was gonna say and i i get that captain kirk's supposed to be the the brave one he's the one that puts himself in dangerous positions on purpose so that he's not endangering anybody else's life unnecessarily but like you mentioned he is the captain he does need to be the leader and the protector of the people on his ship and for that he needs to be living mm -hmm. <laughs> i think and have his brain not erased exactly <laughs> And he knows that it directly affects brain chemistry or the brain pattern or how your brain works. So it it just seemed like a really dumb idea, especially somebody that was seemingly angry at him being at the controls. Like, even though she's a Starfleet doctor, you don't know what she's going to do to him. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> By you don't accident, really, too. You don't really trust her that much as it is. You barely know her. So, yeah, that's sketchy. Yeah. And it was. You already were told it was a failed experiment. You have somebody that's angry at you at the controls, and the controls seem like they're meant to be operated by a four-year-old. Mm -hmm. So it's just a, it, all around a very bad idea. So during the experiment, right, she, uh, she tests it with him, tries to put in a thought that he's hungry. Uh, that seems to work, but then he's like, well, put in something a little more crazy. And so I don't remember what she tried after that. Was it that... Uh, Oh, she tries to, to tell him, like, oh, you know, that Christmas party, it actually went different than you think. Uh, we, you, you, you know, swept me off my feet and took me back to your cabin or something like that. I, I kind of like that she's having to implant that thought, because then that means they danced and, you know, enjoyed each other's company, but that's all it was. It wasn't more than that. And she wanted more than that, even though he's a captain, he's married to a ship, he needs to keep a respectful distance. Uh, so so she's, she is interested in him. Uh, but she plants that that thought. But then uh, uh, Dr. Adams and his, you know, 
security officers come up, they snatch her away. And then he's like, oh yeah, no, we're going to push this a little further. And so he's telling Kirk, uh, you're so, you know, madly in love with her that, you know, it hurts. And if you, you know, don't do what I say, it's going to hurt and all this putting mind control. I mean, deep, deep into his thought and his head. Yeah. You can see a little bit of Kirk trying to fight this too. Cause he, uh, he has a phaser and mm-hmm. he drops it on the floor and he drops his communicator, yeah. I believe. Oh no, he drops the phaser, but he attempts to use the communicator yeah. specifically while Adams is telling him to drop it yeah. and he activates it. And then Adams cranks the thing up and Kirk keels over. Yeah. And we've seen this before. It's a reoccurring thing. Kirk has a superior mind to all humans and even a little bit Vulcans. I think it's uh, necessary to be a Starfleet captain, <laughs> yeah. especially yeah. I mean, superior mind. We, we just talked about how he put himself in the stupidest position he could possibly True. do. True, that is extremely illogical. And usually he would have Bones and Spock with him to kind of like, you know, steer him either way. And instead he brought Dr. Noel, which was just a bad choice. How do you think Spock would have reacted in that machine? I don't think he would have gotten in the machine. Well, okay. If he was forced (laughs) to, I should say. If if he was imprisoned and hypothetically, if he was ever in that machine. How do you think it would affect him? I'm pretty sure. I mean... With their, their mental discipline, I think he could lock his brain down. I think he could fight the machine. I'm pretty sure, you know, he would just be a vault and, and meditate and nothing could penetrate him. I like that. That's, I think that'd be cool. That's the best answer, I think. Break the machine. <laughs> yeah. So we see uh, Helen tending to Kirk as Kirk mm-hmm. comes to in another room. And that's when Kirk professes his implanted undying love uh, for Noel and she she's pleading with him to remember that it's not real. Remember this was done to you. This is not how you feel. Uh, he kind of comes to a little bit. He's like, Oh, okay. Yeah. And sort of tries to come up with an escape plan uh, and sends Dr. Noel through the vents as Kirk's taken back to the, the neural neutralizer. <laughs> uh, I still can't believe he just, I mean, I'm trying to think of his his whole thought. Pro- I'm still caught on that. Why would he have her do that? I'm going back to that because obviously he wasn't supposed to be there to begin with. So if anybody walks in on them, they're going to use it on him. Yeah. Uh, it's just it, the deal's getting worse all the time. <laughs> yeah. I mean, if you could lock the door, maybe and nobody can walk in. OK, maybe. Right. But even then, don't don't test some experimental failed you know equipment that could potentially break your brain like doesn't make sense and dr helen noel is a doctor mm-hmm. who is supposed to do no harm mm-hmm. Th- and she's, in- she's encouraging the use of it like oh yeah don't worry i, I understand i mean i haven't re- studied this research but i know of it and it's pretty fascinating the things they can do so she's kind of <laughs> boasting about it and pushing it along and so he's like well okay let's check it out let's see if it works at all but, I've studied neuroscience, and it's pretty fascinating when you can delete someone's brain. Let's right. try it on you, Captain. Yeah. Sure, no problem. <laughs> Jeez. Yeah. Oh, man. Just risky, uh, th- for sure. Thankfully, Helen's not dumb. She's just, it looked like she was out for a little bit of vengeance, but she thought it was going to be harmless. Mm-hmm. But she is making her way to the electrical room, 
And she's, I, I don't know if she knows exactly what she's doing in there, what she's looking for, but she tries to flip some switches and do stuff. I got to point out to an, an electrical room, like an engine room. She goes in there and just grabs a bar and pulls it down. On either side of that bar is like thousands of volts. So she could <laughs> easily reach her hand into the wrong thing and just explode. <laughs> like she could kill herself pretty easily. And I didn't see very much like signage too saying, hey, caution, you know, 60,000 volts behind this panel or anything like that. So. Um, yeah, I, th- I think that was a pretty risky move on her part, not really knowing what she's doing. Yeah, I think that was more of a fight or flight thing. Like she was, she was doing whatever she thought she needed to do to get a signal up to the ship or to to do something to help Kirk escape. I think that was more of the heroic side of her coming yeah. out. True, that makes sense. And you think a lot faster on your toes. And referring back to her training back in Starfleet. After the power shut down, uh, Kirk seems more or less like himself, like he's back to his kind of loopy state, but he escapes the neutralizer uh, back in the electrical room. One of the security guards that works there finds Noel, and she just full on kicks him into some electrical panel and <laughs> he's dead, Jim. I <laughs> like, she straight up murdered a dude <laughs> in self-defense, <laughs> mind you. But yeah, and see, so, wow. like, just just kicking him into the panel, he you know was electrocuted to death. To death. Like, how easy would it be for her to accidentally do that to herself? Yeah, that's what I was <laughs> thinking too when I was watching that. But luckily, it shuts down the force field, and Spock is able to beam down. And yeah. Spock just seemingly knows exactly what button to press to to oh, actually no, he unknowingly rebooted the power to the new neural neutralizer. Yeah. While Dr. Adams was knocked out on the floor there, and he's killed by, by the experiment that he's been using on so many others to, to hurt them. Yeah. So, kind of a fitting end, even though he was left not only by himself, but he was left mentally by himself with mm-hmm. no thoughts in his brain whatsoever, which is absolutely terrifying. Yeah, and that's what uh, Van Gelder mentioned, I think one of them mentioned at some point, like, it's not just that you lose your memories, they're taking out what they don't want. Like, imagine not having thought. It's like you're not only lonely in the world around you, you're lonely inside your own head, and that, that is the, the most you know, terrifying thing they could think of. And it's pretty, uh, pretty cool. It's surprising that, I mean, he could die from not having thoughts in his head, but, I mean, if you forget to breathe, I guess. <laughs> yeah, I suppose so. <laughs> if it goes and far enough. If you don't have thoughts in your head, are you sentient at that point? And if, yeah. if not, then you don't have the, the preservation of life mentality. So you just don't care. Yeah. Pretty much brain dead. Or yeah. Potato. Kirk's still madly in love with Noel at this point, but I think he, uh, he ends up snapping out of it by the end. He has to be reminded a few times that he's not actually in love with her. Mm-hmm. They, they all beam back up to the ship. Oh, uh, Dr. Adams is dead. Hooray. Uh, <laughs> comical ending even though mccoy got i'm gonna bring this up one last time mccoy says it's hard to believe that a man can die of loneliness and kirk actually has a good response to that he says not when you sat in that room mm-hmm. yeah um, that, was, that was pretty cool yeah and that was the point that you would that you had just brought up it's it's crazy to think that someone could die of loneliness but it's also completely plausible and terrifying and yeah weird dichotomy between comedy and horror at the end of this episode yeah but that's star trek like they have to do one hell of a report can they just you know fly away i'm pretty sure now they just left this place in shambles because 
They <laughs> effectively killed the doctor that was running the show. I think Starfleet's going to have to send a whole new crew over there and do a full, you know, ass- assessment and figure out what the heck's going on. So, yeah, yeah, um, it's just kind of funny. They pack up and, all right, we're out of here. See you guys. They left Van Gelder there in charge of the place, which I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing, if he has his brain back or not. Yeah. But they say that he destroys the neural neutralizer, which is probably for the best. Yeah. But so he has his brain back, is, but the neural neutralizer is not just like hiding their thoughts, it's erasing them, right? Like taking them out of their head. So does he start to regain his memories? Like, is that how it works? Like, does Kirk eventually regain the memory that he's not in love? Or does the rest of his life, he just kind of has to fight with this memory that, oh, wait, I, I'm madly in love with her and then have to remind myself that I'm not. You know what I mean? So, I, yeah, I don't know how that would work with Kirk. Uh, Van Gelder specifically, though, I don't think his memories were so much destroyed as they were blocked behind excruciating physical pain. Yeah. And Do you they, think the Spock's treatment seemed to kind of break that wall? It seemed like it. I think that was the point they were trying to get across, but he didn't seem rehabilitated. And you would think instead of leaving him there and going, you would take him to a medical facility. That's not that penal colony <laughs> medical facility. And stay there until another ship arrives and takes over. But yeah, we're not Starfleet, and they got a quota. They're busy. <laughs> yeah, they're they're the they're the flagship. They got places to go. They got people to see. Yeah, and I would think like uh, maybe maybe Spock does later do a mind yeah you know, when we're not watching do a mind meld with Kirk to help kind of get rid of those those memories of love for her and stuff like that. Maybe. Yeah, that's fair. That's a that's a good point too. And if if it worked on Van Gelder to such a degree, then it would obviously work on on Kirk, who already has the more uh, the better mind. I don't know what I'm trying to say here. <laughs> the, yeah, yeah, a the super more trained brain. mind. Yeah, <laughs> big, big, big brain. <laughs> <laughs> Couldn't yeah. have said it better myself, even though I tried. <laughs> what did you think overall of this episode? Uh, I liked it. I thought it was a good episode and it kind of gets you thinking, you know, deeper because a lot of people complain about how our penal system is now and I get it. It's totally messed up. Uh, but then we think like, how can you improve on that? And this on the surface seems like it might be a good way to kind of, you know, rehabilitate people without locking them away for generations. But then when you kind of dig into a little deeper, it's a whole lot more than it seems. And it could be done very, you know, recklessly and, uh, immorally. So, uh, yeah, I thought it was a good, good kind of deep thinking episode, even though there was a few things that were like, why would, why would Kirk sit in a seat? But right. Other than that, I that was it. a pretty big one though. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I I think the the idea of the new world neutralizer, obviously, they didn't know that Star Trek was going to be this thing that spans 60 years and was going to take place over hundreds and now thousands of years or about a thousand years. Um, the new world neutralizer is something that I fully anticipate Star Trek Lower Decks revisiting at some point because the technology exists, even though the physical room was destroyed, the technology had existed. It can exist again. Yeah. Uh, that's scary i do think the overall message was exactly what you're trying to say it's something along the lines of being able to open your mind to new thoughts and uh, about our prison system and yeah there's a lot to be said about it but without getting 
too ranty. I think that's what they were going for, is that you can open your mind to new ways of punishing criminals without it having to be the way that it is now. Yeah, but at the same time, I think, like, the the human brain is sacred. Like, you, you have to keep a certain level of, like, privacy. You can't just, you know, a mind meld. They think, oh, you just go in there and, and move things around. No, it's such an intimate bond between the two brains. Like, you have to limit who you mind meld with and stuff. So, like, uh, I think it kind of reaffirms that this technology is great, but we need to draw lines on what we do and don't do within somebody's brain. That's that's very fair. <laughs> I like that, too, because I don't want someone poking around in my brain. Exactly. Um, if you were to give this episode a letter grade, what would that letter grade be? Mm, I would say B+. Plus. Okay. How about you? Um, I actually might go... I was going to say a B, just a B, but I think I'll give it a B plus because I liked uh, Helen Noel. She's a strong character. She knows how to basically thrive in a boys club, which is huge. <laughs> and it was definitely huge back in the 60s. Um, yeah, she, she bumps it up to a B plus. But overall, the captain, the way he acted in this episode kind of brought it down from <laughs> what it could have been. It was a yeah. decent episode. B plus. Nice. I like it. All right. I've got a little bit of an announcement to make. Uh, on October 1st, we are going to be doing a drawing for the season one Blu-ray of, Star- of Star Trek, the original series. So if you're a $5 patron or a Twitch subscriber, you are eligible and entered into that contest. Um, keep an eye on all of our socials for that. And follow us here on Trek Freaks for any other follow-ups on that as well. Um, we're on Twitter, we're on Twitch, we're on Discord, we're everywhere. Where else are we? Oh, we're, uh, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, uh, TikTok. We're doing, well, Geek Freaks is doing some awesome TikTok stuff. Well, hopefully Trek Freaks will get in there soon. We'll see. I I think Um, we'll work on that soon. Yeah, we're all over the place. Also, join us, uh, next week for our next episode. It's going to be the Corba Might Maneuver, Season 1, Episode 10. Heck yeah, that's going to be a fun one, too. Um. For all the links to all of our social medias, go to geekspodcast.com. And until next time, Transporter Room, two to beam up.